So since we're talking high school, true story, when I was a freshman at Benita High School, got kicked, got kicked out of Spanish class. I think because my friends only taught me cuss words, got me in a lot of trouble. But the vice principal said I have to take an elective, and there wasn't any, and I played sports, so the only reason I was even in class was just because of sports. It's the only reason I even thought of going to school at the time. And he says, well, the only class that we have is choir. <laughs> wow. So you guys have to remember, 1970s, I'm the long, I'm the, I'm the weird, I'm the hybrid kid who's kind of like the stoner kid, jock kid, and troublemaker kid all in one. And so I go to choir, for real, and I walk in, and all the choir kids' eyeballs <laughs> are this big, like, Oh my gosh. And I'm like, oh, this is the worst ever. And he goes, okay, come here. I'm like, huh? And he's on the piano and he goes, okay, you're going to do the scale for me. <laughs> scale what? <laughs> and he's like, na, 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 na. And I'm like, oh, bro. <laughs> so I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. So a couple weeks later, there is a giant school rally in the gym. And a thing comes over, and the choir is singing at it. So the announcement is all choir people get to leave. Well, I'm in my history class, and my history teacher and I are buddies. And I get up, and he goes, you ain't in choir. I go, I'm in the choir. Now, we never went. I know some of you. Forgive me already. I could feel some of your judgment. Knock it off. My friends, we never went to the rallies. We went to our own rallies. Never mind. <laughs> so the thing says, choir people get to leave. I'm like, this is so cool. I'm out. And, and my teacher, he goes, you're not in choir. I go, I am in choir. He goes, all right. If I don't see you in there today, you're going to fail this class. I don't know the songs. I didn't sing in choir. I didn't participate in choir. I just sat in choir. So my friends who never go to rallies find out, because my friend was in the class, he tells all my other friends, Craig has to sing at the rally. All of those guys are in the gym, never in the gym, ever. And they're all, like a whole gang of them. And, they're and I'm like, I literally... And they're all singing, I don't know the words. I don't know the songs. I don't even care. And my friends had the best time ever. <laughs> and so I loved my history teacher, Jason Sorrell. I just want you to know that. Because Jason teaches history. But anyway, um, how many of you guys know that's just one authentic story of being honest? Because this morning we're starting a new series called This is New Life. And I'm going to talk about being authentic. Everybody say authentic. But I really want to talk about our prophetic history, because our prophetic history has helped me in this last 10 years to learn to be super authentic. And it's really hard, because when I got saved in the 80s, we weren't authentic. And the high majority of Christianity still isn't authentic. We don't want to talk about our stuff. We want to go to church and act like we got it all together, and other people don't. Oh, you holy, holy people. Now they're like, I don't know who you're talking to, Pastor. How many of you guys know we all have problems, issues, and struggles? As a matter of fact, if that's not true for you, you're not even theologically accurate. Do you guys know that the epistles were written to encourage us and help us? Do you know what the high majority of the epistles are about as struggling Christians? Issues that we face. So we're going to dive in. You guys ready? Amen. You say that now. We're going to find out. Jesus, open our ears to hear. Father, today I do pray that you would touch every single heart. I pray that your prophetic voice would pierce every single heart, every life, every mind. Lord, you touch every single person in this room. Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak to every single one of us. Lord, I pray we don't just walk through another Sunday service, 
but I'm asking today that you would unload your love, your plan, your purposes for every single one in this room today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. A couple of things as we talk about just evolution. For most of you know, I've been here 25 years this year. It's been a crazy, crazy, crazy run. Um, the last two have been extremely crazy. I'll get into some of that later. Um, but every church, and we, people say, well, what is new life about? Well, hopefully, not just new life, hopefully every church and hopefully every single individual are about at least two major things. Number one would be the great commandment. Everybody say the great commandment. So Jesus said these words. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these two. I hope that every one of you pursues Jesus and really, really tries, like to really love him. I wish somebody would help me understand a, a portion of what that meant when I first became a Christian. What do you mean love him with all your mind? I don't even know what that means. What do you mean love him with all my strength, with everything in me? Well, Jesus created every part of your being. How many of you guys know he created your mind? He created your emotions. He created your heart. He created your spirit. Do you guys know he wants you to feel his love in all those areas? Here was my problem as a Christian. Everything was neck up. I've got radically saved. Here's my testimony. I just want to tell you about Jesus. I have very good information. I can tell you about everything. If I want to witness, I will take you down the Romans road, and I will take you about the four spiritual laws. I will tell you about all these things, and I can do it. And Jesus going, I just want to talk to you but I, I don't really know what that means. And I don't really want to talk to you because I still got issues. None of you. I'm going to need help. It's Labor Day weekend. I'm going to need some help today, okay? <laughs> the second scripture that I hope all churches and all individuals are building on is the Great Commission. Everybody say Great Commission. Great commission. Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples <laughs> went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Everybody say, some doubted. some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I command you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I hope that those are two landmark scriptures for your life. I hope every one of you in this room takes those two things very seriously. Love God with all of your heart and go and make disciples. Here's the disconnect. Most Christians have not been taught that they are disciple makers. Most Christians are taught that pastors do that. And that you guys come here and sit and listen to us. I love the way John Maxwell puts it. He says, the church thinks that there is, right, clergy and laity, but God only created claity. Do you guys know every one of you is a minister? This is why most Christians are really bored, because they're not actually making disciples. If you don't spend a good amount of your Christian life helping somebody else become a better disciple, you're missing, right? You're literally missing the Great Commission. Everybody say the Great Commission. It's not a commission. It's the Great Commission. It's the last thing Jesus said. And here's the problem. For millennium, churches have allowed priests and pastors to stand here. You guys don't really do it. We'll do it for you. It is crazy. Let's not do that anymore. Amen? Let's all participate. <laughs> Some of you guys, that scares me. Good. Proverbs 9.1. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. If people ask me when I travel and go different places, how do you make disciples? I talk obviously about our identity class, about our healing class. I talk about other things that we do. I said, but in this last few years, we have committed ourselves to building disciples spiritually, sexually, physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, and financially. 
Now, most of you that have been here any length of time, whenever it gets real quiet, when I say sexual, and you guys go, imagine being in foreign countries where they never talk about it. And when I say never, I mean literally never. Hey, pastor, tell us about the discipleship and what you guys are doing. This is going to be great. All right, the national leadership team of a nation sitting right here. All right, I want to talk to you guys about spiritual things in their eyes. Yay. And I want to talk to you about sexual things. Oh. Emotional things. Oh. Mental things, how your brain works. Oh. Why? Because nobody has taught them. Nobody taught me. Most of us in this room have not been taught deeply in every one of those areas. And I really believe that it is one of the biggest reformations Jesus is trying to do in the earth. Son, I created all of that. And I want you to disciple people in every area. If you don't do it, the devil will. How many of you guys know the devil is discipling our children in all those areas? Come on, let's get honest. How many of you guys know the devil really is discipling an entire generation? What is the biggest struggles in the culture? Christian kids or non-Christian kids, right? It doesn't really matter. It's just a major struggle, right? Emotionally, they're a mess. Sexually, there's never been more confusion. And mentally, there's never been more anxiety and depression in a generation than I've ever seen in the history of mankind. And, and we can get frustrated and go, yeah, hey, man, I want to lovingly say it's a leadership issue and the church is responsible and we need to take that back. We need to teach our kids what God says about it and why he says it. You can't just tell people this. This is how it works. So and I know this is normal. We just need to break it. I had a grandma bring a, a little grandson after first service today. And she goes, Pastor, I want you. And the kid's probably like five or six. Can you pray for my grandson? How many guys know? Of course. Yes, of course I'm going to pray for your grandson. What's going on? He's angry. Oh, okay. Let me do my normal Christian thing. Father, in the name of Jesus, take anger away. Don't let him be angry. Wait a minute. Scripture says you will be angry. Scripture says be angry and sin not. So here's what I've learned. Hey, what's your name? We have a 10-minute conversation with a five-year-old. You know what's so cool? At first, he's like, I go, hey, buddy. I go, what are you angry about? He looks at me. First time I get eye contact, right? So what Christian was talking about. I go, you know, I get angry too. He looked at me a second time like, what? We had a great conversation. It was amazing. Five years old. We had a great conversation about getting honest and real. And I said, listen, it's okay to be angry. But in your anger, don't be mean. Don't say mean things to people, right? Be kind. Then I asked him, I said, hey, so we talked a few more minutes. And I said, so tell me what I just told you. He goes, well, I can get angry, but I'm not supposed to be mean. God, let that fall on every Christian in the room right now, God. <laughs> Please. I want to break down a little prophetic history. We all should have it, right? How many of you guys know God has a prophetic destiny for every one of your lives? Right? So I'm going to try to share as much as I can. There's so many prophetic things to talk about the prophetic history of this church. I'm going to hit as many as I can. But the point in sharing these things is this. God wants you to have prophetic history. If you listen to me share a bunch of stuff and you go like, I don't, that's not really happened to me. It can. Get hungry for the spirit. Seek God with all of your heart. Get involved discipling other people and you will find yourself being prophetic. Amen. So we're going to dive in. Here's my very abbreviated version and, and we're going to move. So for some of you that don't know, I literally grew up right here at Laverne, Claremont, Pomona area. 
total non-Christian house, knew nothing about any of that, um, got radically saved in Okinawa, Japan in 1980, uh, saw signs, wonders, miracles. It was one of the craziest 10 months of my life. Like, couldn't believe, and I, I just thought, I never even knew this happens. This is nuts. This is like unbelievable. Thought I was going to come home. I, I was just young and arrogant. I thought for sure all my friends were going to get saved, right? I really believed that. And I got back to the States and I backslid in two days. I literally fell off a cliff within two days. This was my gym. I used to go party in the club next door, all kinds of crazy stuff. January 24th, 1985 right down the street. Let me, let me say this. Moms and dads, keep praying for your kids. Yes, Grandmas, grandpas, pray. Somebody was praying for me. I don't know who was praying for me. I know it wasn't my mom and dad. But somebody was praying for me because I had a visitation on January 24th, 1985. And the Lord allowed me to see the reality of spiritual warfare. And I'm in my house at 7 o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden... The enemy, God just shows me. I mean, it is like for real in front of my face. There's a chain around my neck, and the devil is just mocking me and laughing at me. I knew that was true, but I didn't, I didn't acknowledge that. How many guys know we know when we're bound or we're stuck in something, we just don't want to talk about it? God is so kind, he'll actually show you. Some of you this morning need to hear that. He'll actually show you. Go rededicate my life. It's unbelievable. Six months later, I'm at a little tiny church in San Dimas. The, the last six months, incredible. God sets me free. Drugs, alcohol, serving, like on fire for Jesus, right? Anybody have that story? Come on. How many got radically saved somewhere, right? Love Jesus on fire? For real. The only problem was I wasn't dealing with those other areas that I just pointed out. Right. So I'm going to church. I'm on fire. But the devil is in the back of my mind every day going, you're a liar. You're a hypocrite. Why do you even go? Why? Because I was still angry at my dad. Come on. Somebody needs to hear me. I was still angry with my dad. I was still struggling with lust. OK, this church, you're supposed to say, man, we're, we're past that point now. Right. Come on. We're, we're supposed to be past that. <laughs> So why do I say that? Because nobody was discipling me in those areas. Nobody came up to me and went, hey, son, you're probably going to struggle with lust the rest of your life. But let's learn how to manage it. Let's learn how to invite Jesus in. You're really angry. That's okay. God wants to help you in your anger. Wow, that would have been really good to know when I first got saved. But it didn't happen. Why do I say that? Many of you are hearing what I'm saying and the enemy for many years, has been beating you up in the back of your mind. You're here. You love Jesus. You're still coming. But the truth is, you keep nodding this when he says stuff. And we need to break that. Amen? Amen. We do. And so this guy named Dick Joyce, this amazing man, calls me out. Never met him. Didn't know him. Nobody in the world knew. I spent time with Jesus from 11 p.m. till 1 a.m. every day of my life. And mostly guilt and shame. Satan. Man, I'm worshiping, I'm praying, God, forgive me, I know, every day. It wasn't intimate relationship yet. It wasn't, hey, I'm just basking in his love and his goodness. I'm just, you know, come on, how many guys warfare? Like it's real, just this war is going on. This guy calls me out, young man, stand up. I'm like, all of a sudden, I want to pray for you. And he starts talking and something started to happen in the room that I've never felt before. It wasn't just another prayer. I'm not trying to be mean, but I had got people had prayed for me, but it was very generic. Come on. How many guys know we need to get past the generic prayer? Right. Craig, bless you and your dog and your goldfish. Amen. <laughs> No, all of a sudden, this guy starts talking. I didn't understand the, the, the spirit at that point. All of a sudden, something's stirring in the room. He goes, this is not just going to be a word, young man. This word is going to direct your life forever. He got my attention. Then all of a sudden, out of his mouth, the Lord says, son, I hear you in the midnight hour. 
Not one soul on earth knew that I hung out with Jesus every night at midnight. Mr. Big Marine Guy? Flooding. Weeping. Crying. Why? I couldn't believe that God actually heard me. I wanted to believe it. But I didn't really believe it. Many of you in this room have been Christians for years, and you don't really believe it. That's why you don't spend a lot of time with him, because you don't think he really cares about you that much. And we need to break the lie of the enemy, because he really cares about you that much. But, Pastor, if you knew my struggles, you wouldn't say that. Oh, trust me, you don't want to compare struggle. The king of it. All right, I'm going to run through some crazy stuff. I moved in 1988 to Morro Bay to be the youth pastor at the Little Assembly of God Church up in Morro Bay. Moved to Santa Maria in 1990 where I met Christine. Thank you for her, all the prayers, her new knee, doing good, in pain, but she's doing really good. Keep praying. Thank you very much. From 1995, I ended up at the Four Square Church. Pastor Roger Wheeler, I got to bless him because the man believed in the prophetic and he believed in the spirit. And we got trained and equipped. And he had a dream I was there a couple years, and in 1992, he had a dream that I was to become the high school youth pastor. <laughs> I thought, God better have spoken to you because you are crazy letting me take over these young people, man. I really believe that because I was a brand new Christian. I didn't have understanding of things. This is what I did know. I was on fire for Jesus. Like, really. I met my dear friend, Ken Peters. How many of you guys know who Ken Peters? Some of you have been around here for a while got prophetic words, the most prophetic guy I've ever met in my life. Travel all over the place with him. I would just sit in awe and watch and be like, he would read books over people. People would be bawling. Lives were being changed and transformed. I just thought, dude, how do you, what on earth? That is like crazy. But my problem was I thought he was super special. Do you guys hear what I just said? Do you guys know you're all prophetic? Four of you. That's awesome. <laughs> Do you guys understand when I say prophetic, you get to hear Jesus and you get to listen to him and obey him. Amen. And when you start doing that on a regular basis, he'll do it more and more and more to where you realize, wow, this is normal Christianity. And it's exciting. The church, the only thing, boring. Holy Spirit out there in your real life, exciting. Why do I say that? Because especially in the early years, I got pointed out over and over and over. People go, why? How? Craig, you get prophesied over every service. I said, that's how screwed up I am. God's got to keep you. <laughs> and I kind of mean it. I didn't believe what they would say. Like I got so many Christian international, Bishop Bill Ham and Sharon Stone, the one that kept her clothes on. Some of you know. So it was a running joke in the 90s. The actress Sharon Stone, this prophetess lady, no joke, her name was Sharon Stone. And that's how she introduced herself. It was hilarious. She goes, hi, my name's Sharon Stone, and I'm the one that keeps my clothes on. <laughs> and everybody would laugh, but then she would call you out and read your mail. She's, still, she's in the UK, still lighting it up for Jesus. Unbelievable. These guys would prophesy over and over. And I got all these different words. I didn't even want to... The Lord says he's going to call you to be a prophet to the nations. I'm like, I don't know what that means. God's called you. You're going to be like an icebreaker. I see a picture of a ship breaking up ice. And God says, this is really hard. And icebreakers have to have extra thick holes because it's hard ground. But if you will do it, what happens is you will break the ice and it'll be a life flow to people and their lives will change if you'll fight for it. I had no idea what that meant. Do you guys know I'm living that right now 30 years later? going to nations right now for real, you guys. This is seriously happening. Where I'm like breaking ice. Pray for me because in two weeks I'm going back to Sri Lanka. Some of you guys know I was just there earlier this year and God had me drop a prophetic bomb on the national leadership team. It wasn't, it wasn't a prophetic, bless you. It was hard. I ran it by a couple key leaders before. I said, dude, do you want me to share that this is what? And it was, you're divided you're separated. You're falling apart. God's asking you guys to do this, and you're doing this. 
I would say that about every church in America, by the way, and maybe around the world. God is asking us to do this, but we're still so stuck that we keep doing this. Some of us don't even want to. We just do. We don't even know why. Church, it's time we start doing this. So I'm going back because I'm speaking at their national convention and then I'm meeting with those national leaders. So when I'm not kidding, I, I'm really asking you guys to please pray. It's going to be two weeks from now because I am going to sit in the room with their national leadership team. And I'm going to talk like I am to you this morning, straight up about how we need to make disciples differently than we've been doing. Amen. Are you guys awake? You guys good? All of these different things start happening. In 1995, I leave the church in Santa Maria, go to the district office. How many of you guys know Robbie Booth? One of my favorite people in the entire world. Uh, the best boss ever. So amazing. Um, January. This was in October of 95. January of 96. I'm at the Vallejo Foursquare Church doing a prophetic weekend. It's January 21st, 1996. Sunday evening, and I'm prophesying over different people. We activated all weekend. People were learning to pray for each other. And I'm praying for people. And there's this young man, and no joke, he has a white shirt and a black tie on. I thought a Mormon kid snuck in. I'm, I, I honestly believe, I thought, I'm like, dude, a Mormon kid came. This will be fun. I'm prophesying over people. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, pray for that one. All right, you. So I start prophesying over this kid. Later, he tells me, you know what I told the Lord? The pastor's son was his buddy. He was just there. He wasn't a Christian. He was sitting there, and he said, okay, God, if this stuff is real, if what this guy's doing is real, he'll pick me. And if he picks me, I will give you my life forever. And he said, right then, I said, you, young man with the black tie and white shirt, that was Pastor Billy DeRay. For real. So you guys know who wrote our discipleship, right? Yeah. Billy followed up. Listen to me. Many of you have said you'll do something for God, and you're not doing it. Can I lovingly tell you to do it? He wants you to still do it. He has a plan for you to do it. And Billy did it. And he served as an intern. Then he came down to Life Bible College. It was crazy. That boy's life. I, I texted him. I said, hey, do you remember when? This is, this is Billy's text. Craig, January. You guys didn't know Billy. Craig. How many of you guys know? There's very few people's texts who actually talk to me like this. How many of you guys have taken discipleship? Come on. Come on. You know this. Craig. January 21st, 1996, changed forever. Boom. That was his text to me. I'm like, only Billy, man. I, that guy, I just love him. Why am I saying it? One prophetic word will change somebody's life forever. And God wants to use you and I to do it. We keep going through these different things. I'm driving through Pomona, heading to Palm Springs on the 10 freeway. And all of a sudden, I hear the Lord in the van, Christine and the kids still in the district, driving down the street. All of a sudden, I hear the Lord. It's almost audible. This is the closest I probably heard to the audible voice of God. Gary Avenue, 10 Freeway. You will be back here. I heard it so loud, I actually said it to Christine. I go, honey, I think I just heard the Holy Spirit said, I will be back here. Here was the problem. I didn't want to come back here. I had a new life. I didn't want to come back home. I didn't want to come back where it wasn't so good. You guys hear me? Some of you need to hear this. You're not being a prophet in your own hometown because you might not get honor. And I'm telling you, God's called you to be a prophet in your hometown and to your family. So start being one. So that just blew my mind. Conference, prophetic conference, 1997, Portland, Oregon. It's a youth conference for Foursquare Youth. Jerry Dearman, who was our national youth guy, asked me, he said, hey, Craig, I want you to come and do that activation thing. Everybody say activation. activation. 
You know, that, that thing where you get people to hear God and pray for each other. I'm like, yeah, I'll be happy to do it. Now, I'm not the Foursquare guy, right? Well, what Jerry doesn't tell me, I know it's a youth conference, a couple thousand young people there. What he didn't tell me is the president of the denomination and district supervisors are all sitting on the front row. I'm like, whoa, dude. Crazy thing is, the day before I share my message, the Lord says, Craig, they must be activated first. Yeah. I don't know any of these guys. I'm not from Foursquare. I'm from Assemblies. I don't know them. I don't know anything about that. I go to Jerry, hoping he's going to get me off the hook. And hey, Jerry, you won't believe this, but I felt like the Lord said, these guys got to get activated first before the young people are, or it won't work. That's when I was hoping he's going, bad idea. He goes, you better do it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I get up, bunch of people, these guys, I'm sweating bullets, right? I'm like, and all of a sudden, in the middle of that, the Lord's like, prophesy over the worship leader right now. Are you even joking? Listen to me. Why am I saying this? Because you need to have this prophetic history. I.e., you and I have to learn how to hear God when you're doing something else, when you're at work, when you're at the grocery store, when you're with your kids, and all of a sudden, Holy Spirit's trying to say something really important, and you're like, I'm really busy. I don't want to be silly, but God knows you're busy, and he wants to talk to you. I'm just telling you the truth, how frustrating it was, because I was freaking out. He's like, I want you to pray for him right now. Oh, my gosh. Okay, now, please hear this. Do you know why I didn't want to do it mostly? In the back of my mind, Satan's going, oh, you just want to do that to try to show off to these guys. Come on, how many guys know the devil's trying to talk you out of living a spiritual life? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So all of a sudden, true story, 1997, the Lord says, I said, call him now. Is Caleb Quay in the room? It was Caleb Quay. Our Caleb Quay. Caleb. He was our national worship leader for Foursquare. Never met him. Didn't know him. Had no idea. Caleb Quay. I'm standing for all these people. Satan's going, oh, you're trying to show off. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Is Caleb Quay in the room? Guess what? Nothing. I'm like, thank God. Because you know you worship people, you sneak in the back. So I'm like, one more time. It's like, Caleb Quay. And I'm like, oh, good, he's not. All of a sudden, back of the auditorium, I'm right here. (laughs) You know what's crazy? I didn't know he was from England. I didn't know. I had no idea who he was. He's like, I'm right here. And I'm like, I'm right here. So he comes running up. This is a true story. Is he in the back? Is he in the room? Is he in the back? Are you in the back? I don't know where he is. He's like, I'm not coming out. Come out! Yeah, what do you want? <laughs> this is a true story. I'm not even joking. The true story. Very true. True story. Didn't know him. Never met him. Now I'm really freaking out. Please hear me. Why? Because I'm talking about you being prophetic. I don't want this just to be at all these prophetic things about new life. This is about us getting active in the spirit. Amen. Why do I say these stories? Because they're real for you. He's walking up. This is how it works. I have no clue what I'm going to say. Zero. He's getting closer. I'm like, oh God, some. how many of you guys would it be great if God just texted you a word for somebody every day? <laughs> Your co-worker, you're hanging out. I'll say, hey, you won't believe this. God sent me a text for you. (laughs) No, it's faith. Guess what? I start praying. I don't remember anything except something about going to the UK. You're going to be invited in to be do worship seminars and this and that. But it's not even about that. It's about the power of my spirit. And I entrust to you the spirit, blah, 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 all that. Sometimes when you get in it, you don't even know. And this lovely friend of mine, 
Now remember, I'm the guy who nobody knows. I'm nervous as can be. He grabs the mic out of my hand. Give me the mic. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, my worst fear has come upon me. This is when I'm waiting for him to go, that is the worst word I've ever heard. <laughs> and he says this, you won't believe it. I got a call from the national leader in the UK last week. They've invited me to do worship seminars all over Europe, but I know the Lord's calling me to go in and to stir up the Holy Spirit. Do you guys know my faith just rose? Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm, not I'm, I'm helping you. Do you guys realize my faith just rose like, right? So then I went from scared of these guys to get up here. <laughs> For real. I'm not even kidding. And the president of the denomination, these guys freaked. They had no idea what I was doing. They freaked out. And I just told them straight up, if you guys don't lead this, it's not going to work. Now, I'm going to tie that into some other things happening right now, but I'm telling you, that's true. Moms and dads, please hear me. I'm talking to you. If you don't do it for your children, don't expect them to do it. It won't work. You got to live it. You got to shift. You got to change. You got to do those things. Let's give Caleb a big hand because he's awesome. By the way... Chinese theater, what's the date, real quick? September 14th. September 14th, go online, we're gonna put it on the website. His movie is debuting there at the theater. You can actually get tickets and go to the Chinese theater in Hollywood and watch his movie on September 14th. Yep. So we'll get information yeah. for you. Right. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back up. So. You guys, 1997, crazy. I'm going to give you this piece of, of the prophetic craziness because it's how I ended up from the district to here. And then we're going to take communion and ask the Holy Spirit to speak. It's January of 1998. Speaking at a national youth conference in Canada, Banff, Canada, very beautiful, freezing cold. I'm getting on a plane with Christine, and for the last few weeks, I kept hearing the Holy Spirit say, I want you to fast for a week. <laughs> now, I'd never fast. I, don't fa I didn't fast then at all. I'd never been on any extended fast. I just, that just wasn't my life. Like, I'd skip a meal and call it fasting. Oh, come on, you holy, come on. It's like, well, I kind of fast. It was like, yeah, I fast from midnight till 6 a.m. every day, Pastor. I'm super spiritual. So, again, I'm trying to get help, like my buddy Jerry, to bail me out. I turn to Christine. I'm like, honey, this is crazy. I feel like I'm supposed to fast for a week. I'm, I'm just waiting for my lovely bride to go, that's crazy. You shouldn't do that. She's like, you better obey God. <laughs> really? Well, then why don't you fast and I'll pray. <laughs> so I start fasting. Here's crazy. First week, first week of January 1998. Fast for five straight days. God gives me a dream every single night about a church, the church, but also this church. And it was very different. It was a combination of like Mormonism and, and knocking on doors and carrying and feeding people and taking care of people and going to nations and people from nations coming and going. And every night it's a, just a weird, it's a different thing every night. I'm, I'm blown out of the water. I, I don't even talk to Robbie, my boss, because I don't want to be a pastor. I just don't. I just don't want to be a pastor. And I think, well, God, if that's going to happen, it's like 20 years from now. The next second week of 98, there's cabinet meetings in L.A. And our supervisor for this region was a, a guy I knew. And I said, hey, can we meet? I want to share something with you. I said, I have to leave early because I'm going back to Vallejo, where Billy was from. I was going back to do another spiritual gift seminar that week of January of 98. So I meet with him. He says, let's do lunch on Thursday. So we're having lunch, and I shared these five different dreams. And he's like, Craig, that's great. I think you'll be a great pastor one day, da, 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 da. And all of a sudden, I said, yeah, because I grew up in Laverne. And his jaw dropped. And I started feeling sick, for real. 
and he's staring at me. And I'm like, I didn't know we had a four-square church in Laverne. Didn't even know it existed. He said, Craig, you will not believe this. I had lunch with the pastor from the Laverne Foursquare Church yesterday. He's leaving the church. I think this is God and you need to take it over. I'm not, no, no, thank you. I literally said, I have to go. I went and found Robbie because I had not talked to him. I said, hey, Robbie, I fasted last week. Every day God gave me a dream about a church, but I wasn't going to tell you because I think it's like 20 years away. And I said, but I just met with Fred. And when I told him Laverne and Robbie in the sweetest Robbie way, it's like, Craig, don't worry. Churches open up all the time. So I had two thoughts. One is my boss wants to keep me around. How many guys know if your boss doesn't want you around and you open the door for them, they'll say to the Lord, you should take the church. I feel the Lord on that. So I'm freaking out. And I have to get on a plane the next day and I go back to Vallejo and we do this spiritual gift seminar all weekend long and Sunday night and I'm tripping out. And of course, I'm not saying anything to anybody, but I'm like, God, I don't even know what to do. And I said, "Okay, you guys, I've prayed for you. You've prayed for each other. We've all done this together. And and in my mind, I thought, "Okay, God, if you have something to say, now would be a good time. I said, let's get you young people. I want you to come and I want you to pray for me. So all of the, you know, there's probably, I don't know, eight or 10 young people that come up. I know every single one of them from running camps, except one girl. This young girl right there grabs the mic and I'm not kidding. She's trembling. It's not the power of the Holy Spirit. This is fear, literally. She grabs the mic. Again, nobody knows nothing. I'm just standing there. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, You will have your church. You will have your church. I still have it on cassette tape. Okay, for you young guys, it's a little square thing we used to have. It's like. (laughs) Listen to me carefully. Sometimes God will have to say things to you two or three or four times and it's okay. Don't beat yourself up. God had already been talking to me, but it just seems so far out. But it was at that moment when this girl, catch this, comes up to me after the service. And she literally is profusely apologizing. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I go, why? She goes, I've only been a Christian six months. I've never done anything like that. I don't even know what I said. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, stop. I said, you have no idea. I said, kid. Whatever you're doing, hanging out with Jesus and hearing him, keep it up. Because what you just said is beyond what you could imagine. Keep doing it. I'm saying that to all of you. Listen to his voice. You have a prophetic destiny. If you don't have any stories like this, don't be discouraged. Start now. You can start a prophetic library of your life as Holy Spirit speaks to you and listens to you. So my family and I ended up coming August 1st, we moved down to Laverne. And that was 25 years ago. I have so many more things to say prophetically, and maybe I'll get into some later, but I want you to take your cup, and I want you to hang on to this for a second, but grab this because we're going to partake in a minute. I want us to take the next two, three, four minutes and worship. As we're worshiping right now, and you guys, if yeah, if you don't have communion, put your hand up. I want you to hold the bread, and I want you to hold the cup. And as we worship together, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you anything He needs to show you. Any hindrance, anything at all, whatever it is He wants to show you. I'm asking you that you would open your heart. We're not going to just go through a little communion thing. I don't care if you're a 40-year veteran in here or you're a brand-new Christian. I'm asking you, let the Holy Spirit talk to you right now. 
I'll preface this worship. January of 2021, I just skipped so many things of prophetic I can't even get to. Some of you were here. Many of you would have been here. Some of you wouldn't. We were fasting for 21 days, January of 21. On the 19th, God gave me a dream. One week later, I had one of the craziest visitations. I don't use this word lightly. When I say visitation, Jesus visits you every day. Do you know that? Do you know he's with you every day? Literally, he's with you all the time. I get up, I try to spend every morning with him. I miss certain days, but I mostly really do that well. And he's there with me, but this day was crazy. Something in the atmosphere. His presence is increased at a level I can't even express it. Randy Remington, who is the president of our Foursquare, just became the president of Foursquare. I don't keep my phone with me usually. In my, I keep it away from me. And all of a sudden, I hear the Lord say, get your phone. I want to prophesy over Randy Remington. So I go get my phone, and I prophesy over Randy Remington. And all of a sudden, Jesus takes me through an hour, hour and a half Bible study. Jeremiah 26. Now let me express prophetically. Because we live in a culture right now where so many people say they're prophets and they just say stuff to tickle your ears or to bless you. And true prophets have hard things to say sometimes. And if you're not sure, read the prophets. They wanted to kill Jeremiah. Jeremiah, listen to me because this pertains to you and it pertains to me. This is a visitation from two years ago. And Jesus walks in and he makes it clear, Craig, this is for everybody. It's this house and every house. And Jeremiah is standing in the house of the Lord. And he's prophesying to God's people. Part of them had already been taken captive into Babylon. And the prophet is saying, listen, if we don't repent and change, all of us are going to be taken captive. And the priest, the prophet, and the people said to them, kill him. They wanted to kill Jeremiah because he said, if we don't repent, we will become like Shiloh. Shiloh goes back to 1 Samuel 1. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was for 400 years. His presence. And you remember Eli the prophet or the Eli the high priest, right? Samuel. Well, I, what I didn't remember is, is, is how things unwound. And God, Jesus literally takes me to 1 Samuel. I'm like, Shiloh, he goes, 1 Samuel 1. And I start reading through it, and Jesus is giving me a Bible study. Little Samuel is given to the priest. I didn't remember this, though. Chapter 2, God sends a prophet to Eli. And he prophesies to Eli, the high priest. And the prophet said this, Your sons are stealing food from my house, and they're sleeping with temple girls. They need to stop it. And their dad did this. So God in chapter 3 speaks to little Samuel. This is the first time he didn't even hear the voice of the Lord yet. He didn't even know it was the voice of the Lord. Three different times. And then Eli says, Samuel, it is God. Listen to him. And then in the morning, Eli looks at Samuel. Most commentators think Samuel is only 12 years old. And his first prophetic word was judgment on the house of Eli. And Eli gets up and he says, you tell me every single word God said. And if you leave a word out, it will become on your family. And little 12-year-old Samuel says, the Lord says that he's removing you and your children. And Israel goes to war and thousands get killed. And the leadership asks the question, why? And I thought, are you kidding me? Everyone in town knows what they're doing. Everyone knows that Eli's son are stealing food and sleeping around, and we won't talk about it. And I'm like, Lord, why are you showing this? Because my church is a mess, and men are sleeping around, and women are gossiping, and nobody's doing something about it. You want me to preach that? You want me to say this? Yeah, I want you to send it to the denomination. <laughs> okay, great. This will be good. There goes my career. Thank you very much. So little Eli prophesies. 
I'm sorry, little Samuel prophesied to, to, to Eli. God takes me back to Jeremiah 26. And this is what I want you to think about as we contemplate this right here. Jeremiah 26, they want to kill him. The leaders in the city, the Jewish leaders here, that they want to kill the prophet. And they said, wait a minute, don't kill him. Bring him here. And Jeremiah says this, kill me if you want. But this is the word of the Lord. And the Lord's going to take us all captive if we don't repent. And the leadership listened. And they actually believed it. And they said, we believe this is the word of the Lord. And then the worst travesty in this entire visitation. I keep reading. They acknowledge it. The leadership says, yes, it's a problem. And they do nothing about it. They don't change a thing. They don't do a thing. Nothing happens. And you guys know the story. All of Israel goes into captivity. I don't want, I don't want to be, I, I just, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that stands in front of you or other leaders and goes, listen, there's sin in the camp. There's sin in leadership. There's all kinds of problems. What are we going to do about it? But after January of 2021, I cannot not say it. I cannot go somewhere. I cannot undo the visitation. I can't take it out of my memory. I can't take it out. And God says, I don't want you to take it out. I want you to be kind. And I want you to be loving. But I want you to deal with the truth. And I want you to deal with your own truth. So for the next three minutes, would you look at this? This is what Jesus did to set us free. This is what he did. He died and he was beaten and he shed his blood that you and I could live in deep intimacy and communion and live in the power of his spirit and help change the world through his love. Amen? That's what he did. So I'll come back and lead us in this, but for the next couple minutes, would you please let the Holy Spirit talk to you about anything he wants to do? Father, you move right now in the powerful name of Jesus.